we're able to take you on a journey that says, you know what, it's not actually your kettle in the morning that's costing you a lot of money. It's the fact that you're running your clothes dryer. It's sometimes been referred to as the fourth level of government. You've got strata manager, maybe a building manager, strata committees. How do you get these people focused on uh, saving energy together? Tech revolutions come in waves. When you talk about IoT and public utilities, the first of those waves was smart meters. For decades, the utility companies would send people out to the neighbourhoods where they'd walk up and down the streets checking meters. The electric utility would send someone to check the electric meter. Your natural gas supply would send someone else to check the gas meter. And the water utility would send yet another person to check, you guessed it, your water meter. In some cases, that might even be in your basement. You have to be home for that person to visit. Now consider the cost of labour, the inconvenience of going into people's homes, the risk of unfriendly pet dogs. It's an atrociously unwieldy, old-fashioned system. So utility companies all over the world started installing smart meters that would transmit your usage rates back to the billing centre. This was a game-changer. Utilities went from four data points a year, once every quarter, to 17,000. That's right, from once every three months to more often than once an hour. That brings us to the Internet of Things. The IoT is solving problems in many fields, including some that impact you every single day. Every time you turn on a light, crank the aircon, or flush the toilet, IoT is there. Welcome to Telstra's Behind the Mic. I'm Adam Spencer, and together we're going to explore how the Internet of Things is getting used today and what it will make possible to do in the very, very near future. IoT works best when the source of your data is a lot of little things spread over a large area. Inside a power generation plant, all the information about production rates and efficiencies is readily available. But when you get to the edge of the grid, the places where the electricity is actually being used, well, that was a big black hole for decades. Companies sent out the power, but apart from the occasional rare meter reading, they had no idea who, how or when the power was being used. Well, now, with IoT networks in place, they know almost everything. I want you to flush the toilet. OK, admittedly, that's hard if you're driving your car, but go with me for a second, because there's a lot that goes into waste management that you probably didn't know. Let's start in San Francisco, a big city with a big problem. For starters, there are almost a million people in the city, so there's a lot of sewage to deal with. On some rainy days, San Francisco's three treatment plants handle two billion litres of wastewater. All that water needs to be processed physically biologically and chemically before it can be discharged into the Pacific Ocean. To that end, they've launched an IoT pilot project putting multi-purpose sensors into their 100-year-old sewers. These sensors tell the city how much wastewater is in the pipes, how fast it's flowing and what the contamination level is. Specifically, they're measuring turbidity, how cloudy or dirty the water is, and the pH level. That's how acidic it is. Knowing those two things tells the treatment plant what processes they need to clean the water and how long it's going to take. If needed, wastewater can be diverted to storage tanks or to other treatment plants and the whole system runs more efficiently. All those sensors are inside concrete pipes and they're buried deep underground. Don't know about you, 
and I struggle to get Wi-Fi sometimes in the middle of my house, let alone in the basement. Now, you're probably familiar with broadband networks. That's the Wi-Fi you have in your house. It can handle a bunch of different pieces of data travelling in multiple directions. Well, what San Francisco uses is the opposite. It's an ultra-narrowband network, a signal that passes easily through dirt and concrete from the sewers to the surface. There's no doubt that if you were building a city today, you wouldn't combine the rainwater sewers and the wastewater sewers. But that is the reality for most large centres in America and Europe. And unless you plan to dig up all of downtown Paris, New York or London to rebuild their sewers, you've got to find a way to manage the combined system as it exists. IoT monitoring is the best way to do that. Our modern electric grid is incredibly complex. On any given day, a single house might get its power from as many as five different sources. Hydro, coal burning, gas burning, wind and solar all feed into the same grid. But each producer has its own characteristics. Solar, for example, produces nothing at night and very little on cloudy days. Wind is as variable as, well, the wind. A coal burning plant can run any time of day or night, but it can't be turned on or off at a moment's notice. Hydro, a long, hot, dry summer, can sap the power of a water source right at the very time you need it most. So let's meet our first guest. G'day, I'm Ryan Willemson-Bell and I'm the General Manager of Business Energy and Solar at Origin. So juggling all these different sources requires understanding and predicting consumption rates in great detail. That's where a million different sensors monitoring real human behaviour becomes so valuable. So Ryan, let's start with the big picture. Just so I'm at home, hairdryer pumping through my luscious locks. Where is that power coming from? How much is solar? How much is hydroelectric, etc.? Yeah, fantastic. I've got a great image of you doing that, actually. <laughs> and um, look, that question was probably really an- easy to answer a number of years ago. It would have been really simple. Today, it's actually quite complicated. So as you say, on any given day, the sun could be shining really brightly. The wind could be blowing really, really strong, which means there'd be lots of energy coming from renewables. But that could be different on a different day. What happens, though, is that all of that energy then forms into a pool, which we call the NEM for short, or the National Electricity Market. And from that pool, is where energy is then bought and then sold to you to be able to use your hairdryer. When it comes to smart meters feeding into an IoT network, how does that help someone like Origin manage the grid? Let's take a really hot day in summer. Um, so the way the way that tends to work is people get up in the morning, they all turn on a light switch, they put the kettle on, uh, so they use a lot of energy. A whole bunch of people then go to work during the day, but all the businesses crank up. Then at night, everybody comes home largely at about the same time, and they all turn on their air conditioners, and the requirement for energy is really, really high. That then sort of peters out later in the evening as everyone starts to head to bed, and we get a tiny little blip at the end, which we call the dishwasher curve which is where everyone mm-hmm. turns on their dishwasher as they, as they fall into bed. And so what smart meters enable us to do is they enable us to get a whole lot more data to be able to forecast more accurately what's going to happen on that day. Back way back when, when we just had dumb meters, you were getting around four data points per annum about what was happening. So you really didn't have a lot of insight across all the individual consumers about how they were using energy during the day. A smart meter gives you around 17,000 data points. So it's a huge amount of data to be able to then forecast really accurately what's going to happen. But that becomes a huge amount of data when it's run out across a huge number of houses. How do you guys deal with that that, that overwhelming 
tsunami of information coming at you. We use it for sorts of things like understanding how much energy we think is going to be used in a given day. We also think about it seasonally, so we know when would be the right time to, say, do um, maintenance on one of our generation units so that we're not going to impact the reliability uh, for our for our customers. Um, when we come to, to businesses, though, businesses have, and large businesses in particular, have pretty much always had smart meters because they're, they're that big. And so we really are able to use that data there to give individual prices to customers based on how they use energy. Um, so there's a whole range of ways that we use it. I can see why that's of interest to you, the utility, but as myself, just the person trying to do his hair, make some toast, get out to work and, and pay the bill, a bill which no offence, I will point out, is going up quite steeply for a lot of people. What, what's in this for me, Ryan? Look, smart meters offer customers, both business customers and customers in their homes, um, a whole range of advantages. So the first one is you get the benefit of all of those data points. And that can be as simple as being able to log onto an app to see how much energy you've used in the last day or, you know, what's my bill going to be at the end of the next month. So that, that's using smart meter data to be able to do that. It also allows us the opportunity to have, with all those data points, we can start to design products for customers that might meet your needs a whole lot more. So there's a whole range of things that happen there. But I reckon with smart meters, we've got to think not only about the use for energy, but you think a little bit deeper about what else can you use smart meters for. So one of those would be if you take the macro trend of an ageing population and smart meters, funnily enough, could potentially have a big impact there. So, for example, as you know, you and I get older, but we still want to live independently, we will have a pattern to the way we use energy. We get up in the morning, we turn a light on, we put the kettle on, you know, we'll have a standard sort of profile that runs. This is the idea that if one morning I don't turn my kettle on, correct, you think, what's happened to Adam? Why isn't he making himself a cup of tea? What's happened to Adam? We can do something. He's not having his tea this morning. What's going on? Is he, you know, is he out of bed? Has he fallen over? And we could use that data in real time to do something. Now, anyone who works in the field of providing electricity has their eyes on a major disruption that is quite literally coming down the road. In 10 years, anything up to half the cars in this country may well be electric. In Australia, that will mean 10 million cars getting plunked in every night. That's an overnight load that our power grid has never seen. When we think about electric cars, you could think about that slightly differently. You could think about it as battery storage on wheels. So today when we think about our car, really its only function is take us from A to B and then it sits outside the house or in the driveway for the rest of the time. I read a stat in the UK, they think the average car is used for about 4%. Of the time that it exists. Well, if you're you're then saying, I've got my electric vehicle, which is just a battery sitting inside a car that can get me from A to B, when it comes home, it actually is still really useful to the house. Uh, That could be your storage. So when we think about what happens with consumption, um, yes, you'll have people charging these vehicles. And arguably, as we have greater penetration of renewables into the grid, the best time to be charging that is likely going to be when the sun is shining, which happens to be when most of us have our cars parked maybe in the city or at the train station. So there's a whole range of issues there for sort of smart cities to develop. But then when we come home, if that vehicle is fully charged, then we could be discharging that battery at night when we're trying to use our air conditioners to cool our homes and and all those sorts of things. So it could have quite an impact on what we call the load curve across the day. What about battery storage at the household level, the ability to suck in solar and then, when I'm not using it, pump it into a battery, use it later at night. Has there been much uptake yet? Some people say that's going to be a major game-changing 
disruptor. Is there a bit of hype there? Look, I, I don't think there is a bit of hype. I mean, I, I would maybe characterise it this way. Um, the ability for us to sit on our phone and talk for hours without having to be connected to a wall anywhere has been absolutely game-changing. That's batteries changing things. Uh, I think batteries have the capacity to change, you know, the way we use energy in our home to the same extent. The reality today is, is that there are batteries being sold out in the market. Um, not lots of them. And for most people, they're probably still a little bit out of reach in terms of cost. But probably the biggest game changer that comes from batteries is when you start to think about them aggregating together. If we could have an entire suburb with batteries, let's say, um, and everybody's got one, and we're able to get all of those batteries to talk together, then potentially we're sharing energy between one another uh, in that suburb, or potentially we're able to say, when the energy demand is really high, we take from the battery when the price is really high, we might push that energy into the grid. Um, so there's a range of ways that that could be used. And in effect, what you're doing is creating what they call a virtual power plant, which is essentially a generator. It just happens to not be one big site located in one location. It's lots of little batteries all being wrapped together to be able to, to, to generate. The dark cloud over all of this is security. If all the information about and all the control of the electrical grid is being stored in a cloud, then how long will it be until the system gets hacked? And how much personal information are people willing to share with their utility company? Remember, we're not just talking about watts or amps here. By analysing your power consumption rates, I could calculate all sorts of details with alarming accuracy. It's all there, buried in the data. In your smart meter, in your home, is a SIM card. That data then comes to us and that's stored in the cloud using all of the latest encryption, uh, encryption technology. We do a whole range of penetration testing by third parties to make sure that the data in the cloud is held as tight as possible. And for us, making sure that we look after our customers' data is of the utmost priority. I've seen it at some of those tech shows and people look into the future, talk things of, of like smart dishwashers that will know when to turn themselves on when the power's cheaper. Have you seen much actual take-up yet of smart appliances feeding into a broader sort of IoT network? Yeah, so we've seen some uptake of that. So I think if you look around at home today, there are a whole range of internet-connected devices there. What we probably haven't seen is how all of that comes together to be able to give you, you know, affordable, clean, sustainable energy. That is starting to come. So a couple of things that we have seen. First one would be, we talk about smart meter data as having lots of data points, but the reality of that is if we said to you, oh, you're using more energy, you know, in the morning than you are at the night or whatever it happens to be, it's hard for you to identify that. So the areas where we've seen a whole range and we're active in this is appliance level disaggregation. So we're partnered with a company called Bidgley and we're able to then take you on a journey that says, you know what, it's not actually your kettle in the morning that's costing you a lot of money. It's the fact that you're running your clothes dryer, which is a very energy intensive appliance and we can actually get to that level. And I think it's that level of detail that customers will want because at that point, that's when you understand your usage and then you start to connect to the to the smart appliance. So, Ryan, in the old days, there was a power plant from which all the power went out to everyone. You've already described for us now a, a much more complicated system, power coming from multiple sources, going in both directions. As we fully embrace IoT, across the electricity industry. What does the future look like for you? Yeah, so one thing that doesn't change in the future is I think customers are still going to want reliable, affordable and increasingly sustainable energy. 
What does change, though, is that I really don't think you're going to see all of the power get generated out of big power stations and then pushed to the consumer. That's actually here today, that we have lots of examples where you're able to control the energy on what we call the demand side, which is on the side where the where the customer is. So, for example, today we work with a company called Tempus, where we're able to control, say, chillers, air conditioners in big buildings. And what we're able to do is then modify how much they're consuming to match the supply and demand in the market. Now, that happens at a business level today, but that will start to transform into being able to be applied into into the home. And when that starts to happen, that means that you start solving the market, not just on the supply side, but you solve it on the demand side. Well, I've finished with the hairdryer. I'm going to go and fire up the curling wand. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ryan Willemson-Bell from Origin. Thanks for having me. Cheers. So who's going to build this new network of sensors? Well, in the case of smart meters, it's the utility companies themselves. But if you want to capture information about how people set their thermostats or other things that happen inside the home, you need to partner with a telecommunications company. And that's where Telstra comes in. It's much more efficient for utilities to piggyback on devices such as Alexa, Google Home, Hive or Nest than to try and develop and distribute some utility-specific device of their own. I mean, how many devices do we want in our homes? Telstra is also an essential part of this whole program because there needs to be a reliable way of getting those 17,000 or so metre readings in a year back to the hub. Now, that's all very important to the electrical companies, but what about you? In Australia, there are more than 2.2 million of us who live in apartments. That's 320,000 apartment blocks. From two-storey walk-ups to multi-storey towers, these blocks have residents linked together by common areas controlled by strata organisations. But when energy costs rise, every one of these strata organisations feels the pinch. And it's a big story. My name's Brent Clark and I'm the CEO of WattBlock. WattBlock wants to unite the people and tap into the heart of each of our apartment blocks. Why? To save money. Brent, I can remember when I lived in an apartment, a real sense of helplessness around what I could do regarding the environment and, 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 and living green. Like, we had a dryer. I have to use the dryer. If I wanted to hang clothes out on my balcony, I'd get angry letters going, you're making the apartments look ugly, let alone uh, the pool or the common areas. It, it's, it's a tough one for individuals to do anything about, isn't it? It really is. Uh, it's sometimes been referred to as the fourth level of government. And that's the, the kind of bureaucracy people have to deal with. Uh, you've got strata manager, maybe a building manager. You've got strata committees. They've all got different interests. Some people own in the apartment block, different motives, the renters. It's basically a a huge social experiment. So if we look at our normal apartment block, you've got electricity meters for the individual apartments and then you've got this common area meter which has all the shared services. Uh, The lifts, the basement car park lighting, the pools are all on this common meter. And almost no one from the building has been paying attention to the bills from that common area meter. And as electricity prices rise, that is actually driving up the strata levies across the nation. So if we look in total, uh, strata buildings are consuming about 10% of the national grid, maybe $3.6 billion worth of electricity each year. Strata buildings in Australia are consuming 10% 10%. of the national energy grid. That's right. And there's an opportunity to uh, slash that in half a $1.8 billion saving. Okay, Brent, say you've got your sensors installed and you're getting that flow of data. 
How do you use it? What do you then do to an apartment? You have to think of that metering data as a bit like the heartbeat of the apartment. And it's going to spike at certain times during the day. Like particularly in the morning when people want to leave the building and go down in the lifts, it'll spike up. Nothing you can do about that. But understanding the base load, in my own building, we would have been at about 7.7 kilowatts before energy efficiency. Now we're down to about 2.8. And that's a 64% saving on our common area. And what do we do? We upgraded every light in the place to LED. We uh, changed the timers on ventilation fans. If you've got to ventilate your basement car park, why not do it when energy is cheapest or even better during solar generation time? What block was formed just four years ago? And they've already assisted hundreds of buildings across Australia to identify and quantify energy waste. They've grown that big in part because of their partnership with Telstra. They were part of Telstra's Muru D startup accelerator program. That got them the equity investment they needed to go big time right out of the gate. We started working with the lowest cost data that was available, which is out of smart meters. And even if you just get some smart meter data from one of these buildings, you can do quite a lot with that. And now we're trialling low-cost IoT devices that can be installed by a non-electrician on those common area metres. Sensors, things Sensors, like that? Sensors, yeah. If we go back three years, uh, the cost to get a sensor installed on an electricity metre by an electrician might have been $750. Now, these devices can be made for under $10 and installed by a non-professional. Fascinating times. Thank you so much for joining us. Brent Clark. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Saving money for individual apartment dwellers is the short-term benefit. But the future here exists in bringing communities together. And it's the data coming from the heart of the 320,000 apartment blocks that can benefit 2.2 million Australians. That's it for this episode of Telstra's Behind the Mic. There's still one more episode to come. We're going to examine the state of Australian agriculture through the lens of IoT. And that means we get to play with drones, so stay tuned for that. While you're waiting for that to be released, you can check out Telstra's Behind the Mic series from Vantage, where we explore new ways to think about your business. For that, we sat down with Dr Jordan Nguyen, a man inventing a better future. Sometimes we we follow the pathway of dreams, but really it's about what technology can do for us, how we can empower everyone to move into the future. That's part of the Telstra Vantage series. Subscribe to that and you'll also get the next episode of this series on IoT as soon as it's released. I'm Adam Spencer. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hope you learned something. I know I certainly did. And I hope you'll join us next time on Telstra's Behind the Mic.